Hey, this is Rob Liefeld, and you're listening to uh, Matt, Ian, and Paul on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. Welcome to episode 126 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, is Ian Sharpley. Hello! Missing from tonight's episode is Matt Casal, but we will do our best to forge ahead in his absence. For tonight's episode, we're going to talk the Supergirl premiere, we're going to talk the premiere of the Preacher trailer, and we're also going to talk a little about the Unnecessary yet oddly entertaining Chewbacca title from Marvel. Super unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, real unnecessary. Uh, but before we get into that stuff, we do housekeeping with Ian Sharpley. If you go to mcsauce.com, you can find our reviews of comic books that we love or maybe we just kind of tolerate. You can find the web comics that Paul and myself put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, as well as this podcast. If you want to stay connected with all things McSauce, go to the Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com forward slash McSauce. There we post the links to our homepage, as well as any other kind of news items that we see. Trailers, information about artists, and updates on comic books, all different kinds of stuff that can be found on the Facebook page. There are a few different ways that you can find the podcast. iTunes is generally the easiest way that people are able to listen to the show, but you can also go through Stitcher if you don't have an iTunes account. It's absolutely no problem. Just go to stitcher.com forward slash McSauce podcast and you can find us there. You can also find all of the old, historic McSauce uh, relics that I've placed in the archive. Actually, this week, I'm almost finished with updating the archives. I think that I only have about ten more to put on there, and they're all current episodes, so you can find those episodes in the iTunes or Stitcher stream, but on the Libsyn page, which you can find at McSaucePodcast.Libsyn.com, LiberatedSyndicate.com. You can go back, and I was kind of having some fun this week looking at some old episodes as I was posting them. Lockdown memory lane. I looked at the... On Halloween, I posted the first haunted episode that we did. It was actually in April. It was probably around Easter or something. (laughs) But I posted a, a pound of Twizzlers where we talked about our favorite our favorite haunted TV shows and movies. And then I also posted our Halloween episode from last year. And I went back and I listened to the trailer that we talked about, the, the end portion where we're screaming our heads off. And episode 69, Fruit Brute, is actually <laughs> the episode where we're watching YouTube and screaming like maniacs. I scream my fucking ass off. If you don't want to listen to the whole episode... Go to the Facebook page, click on the link, and I have it listed here. If you go to an hour and 51 minutes and 10 seconds, you can hear us scream like little girls. <laughs> so that's that's how you can find 
all of the wonderful mixed sauce highlights and lowlights. All kinds of lights. Any lights that you need, we're here to provide. We got them. All the lights. <clears throat> I would like to give a quick shout out to our friends at the Gearbox Union, our friends at That Old Comic Smell, and our friend at the Guest Room Podcast. Also, our friends at More Than You Can Chew and a Fireside Chat. All big supporters of our brand, and we really like what they're all doing with their stuff. Yeah, I feel like um, all of those podcasts that I've mentioned have really been on a roll lately. They've all been doing some great work. Uh, that old comic smell's been doing some consistent work. I've been they getting set my their game up, man. I like <laughs> it. It's, I get surprised. I'm like, wow, there's a new that old comic smell. Gearbox is on our week. ass about you know the podcast war, but. Watch your asses, <laughs> that old comic smell is coming. Those boys are serious in 2015. Yeah, they did a really awesome episode this week. They do their the, the high five, their top five uh, toy lines, and they had a lot of knowledge. Uh, they were calling out, you know, they were talking about the pros and cons of like LGN. Well, their buddy Justin, Calico. who lives out in Washington State, um, my man knows his shit. Like, he dropped a ton of knowledge. It's probably the most informative podcast that I listen to that's actually legitimately informative. So, yeah, a great episode from them. Um, Everyone that, you know, friends of ours that have podcasts or people that we've met through other people like That'll Calm Smell and Gearbox Union, um, everyone's been doing, uh, I think, a really good job. I've been enjoying everyone's episodes and wanted to say thanks for putting out uh, for putting out a product that I've been enjoying. If we had a podcast network, I feel like all of those shows would be on the same network. We kind of have the same wavelength. We talk about similar types of things. We enjoy a lot of the same stuff. So if you like our show, please check out any of those other shows that we just mentioned. Uh, I try my best on the Facebook page whenever there are new episodes of each one of those shows post them there so that everyone can kind of join in in our podcast family if you will that's right mix modcast copyright right now <laughs> that's our idea you assholes that's true so don't go adding us <laughs> don't go adding us to a podcast family and not call it mix modcast <clears throat> so let's get into uh, a little bit of the show tonight uh, supergirl premiered last monday a week ago tonight to rave reviews, it was, you know, CBS's biggest premiere of the, of the fall. I think it was network television's biggest premiere of the fall season. They put a lot of their marketing dollars into that. You couldn't watch a second of CBS television for two weeks leading in without seeing uh, Supergirl this or Supergirl. Yeah, that. it was all, all Supergirl all the time. Uh, do you think it lived up to all that hype and promotion? Well, let me ask you this. Were you excited going in? Did you feel like this was going to be something that you would enjoy going in? Yeah, I I was excited. I feel feel like I'm a different subject for this type of thing. I watch a lot of shows that one might say are geared toward 
girls or teenage girls? Oh, would one? I mean, you are an avid ABC Family follower. I mean, that's pretty I, much what you watch. I enjoy Pretty Little Liars and Switched at Birth. I enjoy The Fosters. So, like, family-friendly TV, like, I'm in. Yeah. It's, it's in one of my many wheelhouses. <laughs> I say many wheelhouses. Wheelhouse cul-de-sac. I feel I say one of many wheelhouses because that's a separate wheelhouse than Harry Beaver wheelhouse. (laughs) Is that on the same street in the same neighborhood? Different countries. Hopefully, Supergirl did not fall in that wheelhouse. Well, you don't know. But you know, I I thought it had the right vibe being on CBS and really, really being a mainstream vehicle for a female superhero. Uh, it might just be critics that have made it feel like this, but, you know, there's, I feel like there's a race to get a legitimate female superhero front and center. And, you know, through, you know, Marvel and DC putting their big products out there, you know, I felt like when, you know, Mockingbird was introduced on S.H.I.E.L.D., it was, oh, oh, she's a girl, look at, look at us, we're Marvel, we got Mockingbird! And everyone was like, who the fuck is Mockingbird? But DC can roll out there and be like, Supergirl. And, you know, with all the different... And everyone knows Supergirl. That doesn't need any... You don't need to know anything other than her name. You know who that is. And I think DC wins the female superhero war. I mean, they have a shit ton more recognizable female characters than Marvel does. You can promote Captain Marvel all you want, be it Carol Danvers or Kamala Khan. They're not going to stand up the Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn... Supergirl, Catwoman, you know, Hawkgirl. Mm-hmm. So seeing a premier superhero, someone with a big power set like Supergirl, someone with the crest, one of the most recognizable logos in the world, in a major TV show geared for the minority, I think it's great. I was excited to watch it. It had a lot of the tenants that I like, big powers. You know, yeah, it's not Superman. It's close enough for me. Yeah, CBS took a gigantic swing with Supergirl. I think whenever this was announced, we all kind of took a step back and thought to ourselves, are they going to be able to really represent the power set, the big power set, the villains that you're going to need? You're going to need a bunch of crazy aliens that can take down cities to be a a, a viable threat for Supergirl to get up against. I I feel like they... They did a lot of that well. Um, some of the some of the uh, CG was a little bit shaky, but that's nitpicking. I but think. overall, I thought the CG was pretty good. CBS put their they threw their CBS budget at this. Premiere. If there was any channel that was going to be able to handle it, any network, CBS has the most money and was able to do the best job. And I also give them credit for bringing in Greg Berlanti, who has established products. He's, you know, one of the producers. He's the main driving producer on both Flash and Arrow. Yeah, Greg and, Berlanti and Andrew Kreisberg. I mean, they're just killing it. Yeah, and he, he brought a... I think he's learned a lot from Arrow and, Fla- and and took what he learned from Arrow into Flash. And now it feels like the natural progression of how to get something that's fun, pays respects to the property... And brings in a mass audience with Supergirl. And 
it felt like a all the hype was all justified. I feel like that next step though might be hindered a little by it being on CBS. Since the CW is a lesser network, it's not even included in the big four. Right. I feel like with Flash and Arrow, they have a little more breathing room. Mm-hmm. There's less suits, you know, slapping restrictions on them for right. things. Like, you know, you can put ki- Killer Shark or, or King Shark. Or King Shark. He's, he's known as both. Okay. You can put him in a fucking episode of Flash, even if it's... You know, a little, you know, 30-second bit at the end. You, We saw fucking King Shark on The Flash. And, like, they were teasing him that entire last episode. And I was like, they're not really going to fucking show him. And then they fucking did. In full-out man-with-a-shark-head glory. I was like, holy shit. It seems like The Flash is just saying, fuck it. We don't know how long we got on this earth. We're going to put them all in here. We're going to use all the rugs. We're going to be as crazy as we possibly can. Yeah, and there's just like weird, goofy comic book stuff that I feel like Flash and Arrow have more leeway to use because there's there's not so many eyes on them. They're not being, you know, they're not under the hot light of, uh, you know, criticism. As it's going to be on an 8 o'clock primetime CBS show. And Supergirl also is carrying, as you mentioned before, carrying the flag of the first female superhero. That banner is going to be pretty heavy for her to tote around to represent all the things that all the different special groups need her to be. Yeah, and we've seen tons of female superheroes on TV. You know, there's a ton on now between Black Canary and Speedy on Arrow, Mockingbird, and... Daisy Johnson on Shield, but none Jessica of them. Jessica Jones is coming from, just, but not here yet. Yeah. So, and that's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So that's a different that's a different vehicle. But I mean, this is when's the last time we saw a female superhero led show with such with as high a profile as Supergirl? We've never seen that. I mean, this is seventies Wonder Woman. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Is there something but, in between there that I'm? forgetting i mean i can't really think someone might be screaming at the podcast right now i'm sure it's this it's this you morons yeah i mean i guess 70s wonder woman probably did i mean that that's the wonder woman that a lot of people kind of think of when they think of wonder woman because for good or for bad there hasn't really been a great version of wonder woman outside of say the animated series justice league Unlimited is probably the best version, and it's a cartoon, so it kind of doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, and even in the comics, there's, um, like, a lot of people point to the George Perez run as the definitive Wonder Woman. Yeah. But that's not my definitive Wonder Woman run. Like, if I had to pick one, it would probably be the Gail Simone, Aaron Lepresti run from late 2000s. Mid-2000s, late 2000s, around there. Was it right before the New 52? 52? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was the Gail Simone LaPresti like run, Amazon War and then stuff. they went into the I think it was called Odyssey when uh, it was running the same time JMS was on 
Superman's grounded storyline. Oh. Where it was the first time they gave Wonder Woman the black pants and everyone freaked the fuck out. Yeah, that must have been that was right before it must have yeah, been like yeah, that was, yeah, that was right before there. right before the new fifty two and that was kinda goofy, but and I've read some of the old um Perez stuff. It's fine. But I feel like Gail Simone had such a great take on who Wonder Woman was, and Aaron Lepresti's art is, was just gorgeous. Um, you know, she built up a legitimate uh, rogues gallery mm-hmm. for her, aside from just Cheetah, who's always been kind of lame. That's She's a- featured everywhere. Cheetah's always lame. That's one of the problems that Wonder Woman has, is she doesn't really have a lot of great villains to go up against. I thought that Brian Azzarello did a good job by grounding her, I guess it's grounding her, in more... <laughs> Uh, of her mythology with being, um, you know, related to the gods and um, being the daughter of Zeus. It, I, it, that gives you a whole bunch of different options and you have the, the you know, Hades to go up against and all different kinds of things that you can fight when you go that route. To me, that's, I, I haven't read any of the George Perez stuff. I like the very beginning of the New 52. I thought that was pretty smartly done kind of ran out of steam after a while but the first year of brian azarello cliff chang wonder woman that was really good stuff i thought yeah yeah it was it was it was great so i mean this is really but this is really supergirl's big big push you know she was on superman the animated series some guest spots on justice league unlimited but i mean this is this is the big push and out of the gate as far as a pilot goes Having to be heavy on exposition and set up all the players. I thought it was pretty good. In a way, Supergirl does get to cheat a little bit because, let's face it, she's riding a lot of the coattails of Superman. She can. Everybody knows his story, and they essentially said, oh, same story, same powers, so they can shortcut all of that stuff. Is that cheating a little bit? Since, I mean, I know she exists as her own character, but the world doesn't have to learn anything new with this character. We don't really have to explain anything. We know everything she can do. We know where she came from. We know all that stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't use the word cheat, though, because that's not where that's not where audiences are right now. We're in the time of, we don't need to see Superman's origin again. We don't need to see Spider-Man's origin again. Let's just get to it. The age of the informed consumer. <clears throat> so... Supergirl kind of has it made that they can be like, yeah, yeah, you know all that about Superman, that happened to me too, here we go, and we're off right away. And she also has the benefit of, there are a bunch of different versions of Supergirl from all different eras of the DC universe. Really good ones, some really dumb ones. You can pick and choose because there is no definitive version. Nobody really has an idea of what Supergirl should be. It should just be the female version of Superman, right? And then you can fill the writers have the option of just filling in the luxury of just filling in the blanks however and wherever they can. Being a DC guy, um, I, I, I feel good that they're rolling Supergirl out first. They're rolling out her secret identity as Cara Danvers first. So when... Marvel releases Captain Marvel, and it's Carol Danvers. People are like, oh, they fucking stole that from DC. Because you fucking did, you assholes. (laughs) And 
that's the kind of pettiness that you, you get so from the McSauce comic book podcast. Uh, the DC fan, the always beaten down, downtrodden. Even though I buy more Marvel books now mm-hmm. than DC books. Are you counting... I believe blue! Are you counting the Star Wars stuff? Oh yeah, that's all it is. I don't okay. buy any Marvel superhero books. It's all Mar- all Star Wars books. But they're all Marvel. That's true. Yeah, um, as far as the actual, as far as the actual show went, I was thoroughly entertained. I thought that the actors that they picked were delightful. Uh, the story in setting up how they're going to bring in the villain of the week where they have the Phantom Zone, um, villains make an appearance. And I thought that was, I mean, that's how you're going to do it. You're not going to do the Smallville Krypton reigning and mutating people. I thought it was it was smart that the way that they did that. I liked how they set up the montage where they're perfecting her costume and going through yeah. logical progression of why there's the cape stupid. You don't need a cape, and then you show why you need a cape. Although I still don't actually buy that logic. I don't buy that either. But it was a funny comedy bit. Yeah. That's another part about it. It's it's really lighthearted. It, it knows that this is going to be something for families, for girls. It needs a lot of I love humor. when I love when she first walks out in like a bikini. And she's like, I'm not fighting crime in this. And that was like, pretty funny. That along with um, you know, Cat Grant's talk about how what's wrong with being a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a millionaire. You I'm feel not. that was a little heavy handed. I do, but I feel like in this day and age of everyone being so sensitive about such things and everyone being so sensitive about female costumes and comic books that it was a really good way for the show and the creators of the show to proactively address this stuff right out of the gate. To be like, we know what you're thinking. We're thinking the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I don't necessarily... Maybe it's because I don't necessarily like the Cat Grant character or Callista Flockhart, <laughs> the actress. Well, so that all came off as cunty to me. I, don't, I was like, well, that's the stupidest fucking argument of all time. Well, I'm super hot, so I can be a girl. Get the fuck well, out of here. Well, there were other... She had other... You I'm know, super, pluses, too. I'm super rich. And successful. And I'm your She boss. built her ground up from the beginning. You fire you, you bitch, so go get me coffee. She can, and she's a woman with that kind of power. Super powerful woman. But I think this is going to be the most likable version of Cat Grant we get, because in the comics, she's consistently a cunt. Yeah, well, I think... You like all that alliteration? In the comics, she's consistently a cunt. I was going to say, she's going to (laughs) be consistently a cunt as well. She's going to be, but, like, you know, she's... They're going to develop that character into having... You know, the, 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 yeah, the depth and the softer moments. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she's going to be a bitch all the time. It's the Devil Wears Prada setup. By the time you get to the end of that movie, you like uh, Glenn, Glenn Close. Close. Right. You understand her, at least. And that's that's what we're going to develop with, uh, with Cat Grant. Yeah. How did you feel about the handling of him? Him? Of... The big guy? My cousin of the big guy. (laughs) I think that that's the way that you need to do it. I honestly don't think that he should be a key role 
going forward, I think that that should be as much as we get of Superman because they're not going to cast Superman in this. You're not ever going to see him. But You're you not even going to gonna hear his name. No. But you have to address him. So I think that the way that they handled it was good enough, and now we're up, up, and away with the rest of the plot. Right. And I agree. They did it in the best way they could. Uh-huh. I thought it was handled well with you know the backlight, and you just kind of see a silhouette in the cape. But I'm like, you're Warner Brothers, and you're like, how much is it going to cost to pay to pay out some money to say Superman once? Yeah, to be able to use his name one time. Would you go as far? Do you want Henry Cavill to show up and Man of Steel outfit? I'm I'm all for interlocking universe. Like I like the Marvel the Marvel way. Yeah, the way everything comes together. Like I don't want to see what's his face be the Flash. Grant Gustin is the Flash. Like they should use Grant Gustin. They should use Stephen Amell. Like I don't need. I don't even remember what that kid's name is. I um the kid that my... looks nothing like any Flash that has ever been the Flash before ever. Not even like Earth Ten Flash. Yeah, I don't know his name either. Yeah. I, oh fuck! I would have the biggest heart on if. Henry Cavill just showed up one episode. But if you're going to show Superman, you got to pay out fat cash. And I, I, I get why they did it. Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. That's right. So forgettable. Great actor. Name was gone from my mind. Yeah, he, well, he's not Grant Gustin. I didn't forget Grant Gustin. Do you think that there's a possibility that they will... in the t- Because there's a lot of time between now and... Is, is he really going to show up and... Batman v Superman. We don't we don't know for sure. They think that he's going to be in the Justice League movie. Is there time in between now and then that maybe DC changes their minds? Eh, maybe you're not the Flash. Yeah, there's plenty of time, but I think DC has been really Warner Brothers has been really clear about this is what we're doing. We're not doing the Marvel method. We're doing whatever we want over here. Yeah, it and seems- I, in a way, I in a way I like it because it allows. Flash and Arrow to tell their own story. Supergirl can tell its own story. Yeah. Nothing has... And I think that's part of why S.H.I.E.L.D. sucks. It's because because they're, they have to be shoehorned into what the movies are doing. The movies are the big money maker. So, S.H.I.E.L.D., you need to do what you're doing. It even su- it, It's even affected Coulson because Coulson in the show sucks. Coulson in the movies, he's quirky and he's funny and he's charming. And he collects Captain America baseball cards. And he's great. Is that a writing thing or... What is? I mean, I don't watch Shield. In the show, he has to be the leader. The straight man, he has yeah. to be the heavy, and that's not who. That's not who Clark Gregg is. Yeah. Like he plays silly, fun sidekick Coulson so much better than he does. I have to fucking lead this team now that Nick Fury's presumed dead. Do you think that DC is just being hard headed for hard headed sake by not doing certain things the Marvel way? I feel that they would be best served. By picking and choosing. This generation of fans knows Grant Gustin as the Flash. They would love to see him in a movie with Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill. Oh, yeah. I I, think that they should kind of chill with what's not all connected. Well, maybe some of it should be. I agree with that entirely. I absolutely agree that they're kind of being bullheaded with this. That, that, because I'm sure someone that just doesn't get it is like 
Stephen Amell isn't a movie star. He's a television star. Well, guess what? Television's getting all the fucking hype right now. So, you know, while your box office numbers are dropping, except for fucking Marvel movies, like, you know, TV's just fucking gaining steam. Mm-hmm. And everyone, comic fans, like, have you, how many people have you met that are like, Arrow sucks, or The Flash sucks? At worst, it's like, oh, I haven't seen it. Or, eh, it's okay. Or people are like, oh, I didn't like this last season, but I watched all the other seasons before it and loved those. Nobody gave a shit about Green Arrow four years ago. Nobody cared, except for me and you. And right. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, I think DC's being kind of bullheaded about this, and I would, I'd love to see them be able to cross over Green Arrow and Flash with Supergirl. Yeah. How fucking awesome would that be? Next, this week, in two days, when, hopefully, fingers crossed, when this podcast comes out, the night of, we'll get to see John Constantine, Matt Ryan's John Constantine. And that's awesome. On Arrow. And that... I'm going to jerk off for an hour because he was he was so good. He's the best comics to live action representation of a character there's ever been. Do you think that they would ever let him translate into the movies since he kind of is like floating around there in the ether? Like he's on TV, but he doesn't have a show at this point. What's nice about the DC universe is especially lately and Andrew Kreisberg's talked about it. Jeff Johns talks about it. The big heads that are making the decisions are putting it out there that, hey, we're DC. We've got a multiverse. We can have an Ezra Miller Flash and a Barry Allen Flash. They're doing it on Flash this season. You yeah. see Barry Allen and Jay Garrick. So I think they're being bullheaded and not pulling all this stuff together, but... You bet your ass Jeff Johns is, in the back of his head, he's like, it's not out of the question to pull Grant Gustin into something else. Or to have Matt Ryan's John Constantine be sort of the the through guy through all of this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised to see The Flash on Supergirl or Arrow on Supergirl or vice versa. I think that there's a possibility that next season that could, po- that could happen. Because they all have the same tone. And they're uh, that they do have the same tone. They all have the same writing and production staff. They're also owned all like the CW is part of CBS somehow. They're all owned by the same parent company, so that can't happen for them. The biggest jump would be to see if that crazy Teen Titans thing that's happening on TBS or the Outdoor Network or whatever the shit, if that would be able to cross over to all these other properties. Yeah, that's some... Well, that's some shit. That really is. I haven't heard anything about that in a long time. So, overall, I like Supergirl. I think like any pilot, it needs some work. It's going to take four or five episodes to really find its, find its gear. Um, I thought Screen Queens did the same thing. First couple episodes, I was like, man, this is weird. See, I was really in because it was so weird, and it was so different, and it was on network TV. It felt like it was something that belonged on cable. It was so just blatantly crazy. <laughs> it is, and for that, I love it that yeah. you know Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk were like, fuck it, we're going 
balls ass crazy with this thing. But it was, I feel like it's so crazy that no one involved had done, had really pushed a lot of those envelopes to that limit. Like the first handful of episodes, Abigail Breslin seemed lost. Like there's, like I feel like Emma Roberts got it right away. Mm -hmm. Over the top crazy, that's what, that's what we're doing here. But by the time episode five rolled around, everything started to click and everyone started to feel real comfortable with all the dialogue and all the jokes and like not just the actors but you know i felt like the writers everything really came together by then well because as most shows do for the first few episodes almost everyone was like this like in your face stereotype and i think it was easier for all of them to play that as just like the bitchy rich girl or the loud black chick or what or the um Self-centered jock, golf jock, if you will. Right. Who I hated in those first couple episodes, but now I absolutely love Chad Radwell. Chad Radwell. He has the dickiest (laughs) fucking name, but I love Chad Radwell. That dude is the best. Well, that fucking Jonas brother was great. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty good. Not really dead. He'll be back. But he's on... He plays a recurring character on Hawaii Five O. Is he like the some, popular Jonas brother? Is he the I one think with he like is. the music I think he is currently? Now. Okay. No, no. There's He's not. There's one. There's the Jonas with the reality show. There's the that one. That's, the oldest Jonas. There's right? this one, and then I think the other one is the music guy. Oh, I felt like. I guess I'm wrong. I thought this was the music. Maybe guy it is. Maybe like this is over. this is the talented Jonas. The only reason why I thought that was because Ariana Grande was on there. I was like, oh well, they're pulling, oh, they're yeah. pulling pop stars right. into this, and they must have. Well, class I, in that I feel universe. like that's a Ryan Murphy conceit. Yeah, that like he's got this power now. He's got some clout where he can say, hey, do you want to? Do I'm this? really into Ariana Grande. Why don't you do this? Hey, I'm really into. Lady Gaga, why don't you star in the season of American Horror Story? Yeah, maybe, but I, yeah, maybe. But the Jonas brother, Nick Jonas, he's played a, rec- a recurring character on Hawaii Five O, mm-hmm. who's like some creepy kidnapper, sci- like stalker, yeah. like cyber stalker I can't guy. I believe you're still hanging in there with Hawaii Five O, man. I've flamed every three seasons, every ago. episode that's on the DVR. I, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll watch this, and then I'm in. But every every episode, that's the cycle. I don't want to watch it, and yeah. then when I watch it, I'm in. But he's the Jonas brother has been really good on it, and he's like if they channel like his creepiness for mm-hmm. Scream Queens, I can't wait till he comes back. Yeah, I don't know how Scream Queens can keep going. Like I think this is going to be a great one season kind of thing. I, they might have to do American Horror Story and just burn it all down and do a whole nother cast for or a different setup for a second season. But man, I'm enjoying the shit out of it. It's really good. It is unlike anything that's on network TV right now. I'm upset that Leah Michelle's character has taken the turn that she has. Like whenever Hester oh, started so- with the back brace and being really awkward and super into like death and all this other stuff. Well she's still super into death, but she's right, but super like sexy now. the way she was playing the awkward character with the neck brace. It was so unlike Rachel Berry from Glee. Yeah. That I was like, and she was really good. I was like, oh my God. She was so good she that I really, didn't know who that was. Right. I was like, she's really good at, you know, this like quirky, dark comedy. But now she's, you know, super pretty and she's popular now. And I'm like, come on, guys. Let's let's give her, give her some meat to chew on. Yeah. Don't give her the same bullshit. 
Yeah, it is a shame because yeah, she was she was buried in that role where you know I I feel bad a little bit, not that bad for Emma Roberts because she essentially plays the same cunt in every single thing that she does. She's really good at it. She is, which makes me think that she's a bitch in real life. Well, as much as I love Emma Roberts and I do to death, I think she kind of is. That's generally what I've heard about Emma Roberts. That's- like she's not going out of her way to be like Justin Bieber, like horrible. But you know, I I, I feel like she needs handled with kid gloves. Yeah, I, I think so. But whenever I see her in, in interviews, she's always super nice and, you know, super friendly, so... Maybe that's the real acting that she's putting on. Who knows? Interview, interview face. Who knows? Welcome back to the show after a quick McSauce pee break that may have felt uh, jarring to all of you, but for us it was smooth as silk. It probably isn't going to feel all that jarring to them. I th- I'm sure we'll, you know, dovetail this all together. I'm sure Matt will cut it together like the seasoned professional that he is. So last night, during the hour and a half long episode of The Walking Dead, we got to see the Preacher trailer. Preacher being near and dear to mine and Ian's hearts. And it works out that Matt wasn't available to be on this episode. Because he could give a shit. Yeah, and he'll say, no, I want to read it, guys. I really want to read it. He's not. He's never going to read it. He's never going to watch it either. He may watch the premiere and then flame out like he does with most shows. So, being that Ian and I love this series, and we generally try to read it once a year, um, Preacher's a big fucking deal. Like Supergirl, give or take, you know, whatever. But Preacher... This is important. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, I, I like to say that it's probably one of your favorites of all time. It is my favorite comic book property. It's the one that got me back, brought me back from the depths of just not giving a shit about comic books. It was a time in the late 90s after all the image stuff that I loved, but just kind of flamed me out on traditional superheroes Preacher was something that was completely different. It was, it still had some supernatural aspects and some, some, some of the things that I loved about other comic books of the '90s. But it just brought something new and different to me, and really brought me back in in a big, big way into comic books and learning that they could be something totally different than what I had thought they could be in the past. So it's Garth Ennis's best work. Yes. Garth Ennis has written a lot of things since. Some of them really good. Some of them not so good. Some of them, like the boys, started out amazing and then just kind of petered out. But Preacher from start to finish. Um, you know, like Garth Ennis has the rep... The, um, what's the rep word I'm thinking of? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, he's, he's Garth Ennis really is known gory. for being gory and over the top and you know and vulgar mm-hmm. and pushing really pushing that envelope as far as it can go sort of gory and vulgar for reputation vulgar. is the word i was thinking of oh he, funny how that happens I thought such you, a simple word you say that he has a reputation for being what is it isn't that what you said no no i oh. I, I, I was thinking he has the I was like, and i said are it starts with 
R.E.P. It starts with rep. What is it? Oh, I thought you said he has the reputation for being. No. Mm. Um, Yeah, he has the reputation for being just super gory and super over the top, you know, filthy. A lot of bad words. A lot of, you know, sexual depravity. But, and that's present in Preacher. It all is. But what, what's even, for me, what's even more so present in Preacher is the heart and the relationship of the characters. And no comic book, um, maybe no novel, no piece of written work has spoken to me um, as intensely about the relationship between two friends um, as the relationship between Jesse Custer, Custer and Cassidy and Preacher. Aside from all the vulgarity and the depravity, um, the really honest way he wrote who each of those characters are and how they deal with each other and what they do to each other. Um, it was just incredible. I mean, he, he channeled something that he'll probably never channel again. Yeah. Uh, I, to me, Cassidy is one of my favorite comic book characters of all time because of how human and how real he felt when I read him. Um, the things that he did were he did evil things <clears throat> like tear people apart and murder people and things like that yeah but, but he they also weren't, did i don't he, i don't he, think they're evil things because he doesn't he never does them just for the joy of it but he, he also does in, he gets in like bar fights he does he, and he shit does, out of the joy of it but he also does other things he also does more Real world, it, like those are supernatural, comic book, booky evil things. But he also does other evil things that I can relate to, like try to fuck his best friends, which are more girlfriend. which in a lot of ways are more heinous than the over the top comic booky things. And the yes, they are, and they were written in such a realistic, heartfelt fashion. A lot of rationalizing by Cassidy of why he's doing those things and and the circumstances that led to him doing those things. He he's a vampire and he will live forever unless he goes out in the sun or does some crazy stuff. And to see how he has treated other relationships in the past. And he keeps making the same mistakes, and he's a very imperfect person. Um, and and he, he wants to do these good things, and he wants to have friends. But as his life goes on, he just keeps failing these friends and making mistakes and repeating the same cycle for a 100 years. All that, for some reason, really resonated with me to see this guy, even though he loves his friends dearly and risks his life, Time and time again, he still falls short when it comes to simple things like trust and, and generally just being a good friend. He, he, he fails at that, but in the end, of course, he does make it all up. And I think that's one of some of the most gratifying moments. And, and like you said, some of the most heartfelt moments in the final chapter of Preacher when he's sitting at the bar with Jesse just some of the conversation he ha- he has with him to make things right. Um, really, really heavy stuff. And all this needs to click between Dominic Cooper's Jesse Custer and the guy that plays Cassidy. Yes. Uh, I'm 
I don't have his name right here in front of me. It's an actor that has been in, I think, British television for a while. Um, in this trailer, I think it might. Uh, my favorite part of the trailer is the very end, after the preacher title comes up, where they're both sitting in a jail cell after they get busted for some bar fight. And, uh, you know, Cassidy's kind of laughing. And he says, what kind of preacher are you? And that's, that's, that right there, more so than any other part in the trailer, feels like the books. It feels like the relationship between those two, how they are around each other. Uh, you know, that, when a lot of the trailer didn't impress me, that last little bit of it really brought me back around. Well, because the trailer didn't really represent what the story of Preacher is. Story of Preacher is simply Jesse Custer gets this power from heaven called Genesis where he can... He knows a lot about heaven and how he can speak the word of God and make anyone do anything. It's literally... It's crazy stuff. Like It is crazy stuff. An angel and a demon have sex. Mm -hmm. Their baby is Genesis. Genesis escapes captivity in heaven and lands in Jesse Custer on Earth. Like, and coming from a network that, you know, is like, hey, people die and then they eat your brains. Simple stuff. Like, this this is a, these are some huge concepts. Concepts AMC is, you know, throwing at you. Right. Maybe. Maybe. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they need to hit all of that on, on the head and project that to the audience in a trailer. If I'm not we, saying that. No, no, no. If even through the series, if we don't see the two angels that are responsible for guarding Genesis, I probably won't miss them. But you better fucking give me the Santa Killers. Right. I, I would hope that we will get that. Santa Killers is <clears throat> essentially... I, he's... Heaven's hitman. I guess Heaven owns him at that point. He's an unstoppable, old-timey, western killing machine with unlimited bullets and very accurate aim. Yeah, and, and I think he's only the old-timey western killer because that's when they that's when he died. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what he maintains, but yeah, like okay. I I want to I want to see him and I want to see him represented properly. And and the plot getting back the plot of the the preacher is Jesse gets this power understands through some different encounters what's going on with heaven and what's going on with God and God leaves his people he leaves heaven and he's gone missing and Jesse Custer has to find God and that is the that's the the crux of the story he is. His pursuit of God. Right. And in this trailer, I understand it's only a couple of minutes, but this trailer made him out to be the Punisher. He looks like some vigilante preacher that goes and beats up and watching it, wife beaters. Right. Watching it multiple times, I get, you know, in the trailer, the kid comes up to him and he's like, hey, I heard you did some stuff before you were a preacher. And he did. 
because and he did. You know, Jesse grew up in a really fucked up family in between, you know, being a teenager and becoming a preacher. Yeah, I'm sure he's done stuff and people probably know stuff. But, like, Jesse never goes out and actively... Like, he's not the Punisher. He doesn't go to avenge people. Like, he wants to find out why this shit's in his head and to, you know, make make God stand up for the bullshit that he's done. Like, he wants to hold God accountable. Right. Um, you know, Petty, you know, oh, my girlfriend's brother or my girlfriend's boyfriend beats her up like that's nothing yeah i feel like in you know comic book jesse custer is like so he kicked that stupid kid in the face (laughs) one thing that pulled me out immediately and maybe this is just tv watcher me but that kid is the kid that plays peter pan in the geico commercials and i fucking hate that stupid peter pan yeah i've I've seen him in in a couple different things and he he has played a unlikable dickhead kid in everything that I've yeah, seen him in. Yeah, because normally he's he's a redhead, and he's got that face. Yeah, he's got a fucking kickable, punchable face. So I wanted Jesse Custer to punch this kid's teeth out instead of having a conversation with him. But that's just me. Yeah, um, I'm, I don't know, man. I feel like there was a lot of unrecognizable things. There in were, the beginning of this trailer. The only thing, you know, watching it back, you know, I watched it earlier today and I watched it before we started recording it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I picked up the second time was, it looks like Tulip's fighting someone in the backseat of a car who's wearing a white suit and a red tie. Right. And that's the organization that, uh, the Grail. Right. That is in charge of handling the... The, the second descend- coming... The descendants of-, of Christ. Yes, and they're in charge of handling the resurrection of Christ, which, once they get wind of Jesse and his powers, changes all of their plans. So that's something from the comic books that makes me feel good that they're incorporating into this show, at least the first season. Um, there's, I went back and watched the trailer a few times today. Towards the end, there's a bunch of quick cuts, and you don't really a get a ton to, of quick cuts. You don't get to see things, and I'm kind of upset that they didn't let some of those things one settle of them, in. One of those, those Cassidy letting his hand catch on fire. Right. That was that was one thing. There was another. And Cassidy's not traditional vampire. You know, they play a little fast and loose with his powers, but he can't go out in the sun. He doesn't have fangs. He has fangs, but he doesn't. Cassidy has. Uh-huh. I thought Cassidy had fangs. Pretty sure. Mm-mm. No fangs. We can't turn but his in. eyes are always all fucked up. Yeah. Which is why he wears sunglasses all the time. Though he didn't wear sunglasses very often in this fucking right. trailer. No, but, you saw his eyes the entire time. And, and like, that's one of the things about the, fuck, the whole preacher story. Yeah. You never see his fucking until eyes. The until the like, final the last, book. Right. Until the last showdown of the series. Jesse punches his glasses off of his face and says... Holy fuck, what happened to your eyes? And it's never even mentioned. It's never, like, through the series, it's never, oh, why do you wear those glasses? There's one There's one point where a girlfriend tells him, or Tulip tells him, put your glasses back on, you disgust me. Well, right, but no, like, that's, it's never made a big deal of. 
Uh, it's never like it's it's never a heavy-handed lead-up to like, oh, why are you wearing those glasses? Hey, we're inside. Why do you have those yeah, glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cassidy it's subtle. just wears glasses. Yeah. He's a dick that wears his glasses inside. That's just it. But it's because I guess in this universe, when you're a vampire, your eyes are fucked up. Yeah. Uh, there, there was. There's a moment in those quick cuts where they do show Cassidy without his glasses with red eyes. There's, it's, there's a bunch of quick cuts in there. There's a trailer that's burned down to the ground in the quick cuts. Um, there's also like I couldn't really get a a real firm hold, but there was like. Some scene of a bunch of dead people, a bunch of carnage, and things like that. It could be anything. Um, Cassidy seems to be on a plane, killing some people, and then he jumps out of the plane. Don't quite remember that from the books. But oh, was that was that? That's well, I guess that is Cassidy. It is Cassidy on the plane because he's fighting on the plane. But when I first saw it is Cassidy because he's wearing a name badge that says Cassidy as well. Well, when he's you can't see that when he jumps out of the plane. You can you? see it right before he jumps out. of the plane. Because when I saw those quick cuts and the falling out of the plane, I was like, oh, well, that's when, af- that's after France when Jesse jumps out of the plane. Yeah, that's what I thought. But that's so quick. That's, you know. That, I mean, yeah, that's that too early for this story. Yeah. I don't even think we should be getting back to Anvil in this first season. Hopefully not. I think that what we should do is just go on to Texas in this first season. And even that is a lot to cram in to 12 episodes so, well, we did we like. Is there anything we liked about this? Because we just bitched. I like. Well, that's that's what we do. I like. I love the the way they handle Cassie. I don't know what he's doing fighting that guy on the plane, but I love when he's talking to Jesse at the end. Um, I love when he's just sitting on the porch, kind of letting his hand catch, on, catch fire. on fire. I thought that was cool too. Like I feel. I think. I thought that should have been more of a moment where they let people see that. Yeah. Because that's a hook. Like, why is this dude's Hand catching on fire. But at the same time, I feel like AMC needs to slowly let people in to that weird supernaturalness of this series. Because this isn't... Like, what's initially presented is, you know, this is Rick Grimes, but he's a preacher. That's total... He's a preacher... Vigilante you like, Avenger. You like Walking Dead? Well, you're going to love Rick Grimes as the preacher. But, like, there's all this other bizarre, weirdo shit going on in Preacher that they need to slowly let audiences get familiar with. Do you think that the audience that was watching that, a bunch of people that love horror, love zombies, that they would have been shaken up by the realization that this dude's a vampire is hand caught on fire. I think they would have been cool with that. And I think they should have let that play a little bit longer. Let people actually see the only people who didn't that, break The only out. people that, that know that are us. I mean, there's nothing at all in that trailer that says, oh, this guy's a vampire. Like, even that guy getting his... Do you think Even that, if you just see a guy yeah. sitting on his porch with his hand on fire, we know it's because he puts it in the sunlight. Do you think... No one else knows that. Yeah. Do you think that they should have maybe hedge their bet towards horror instead of hard-nosed vigilante? Because that's what Preacher is. It's sort of a horror. For what this... For what network this show's gonna be on, with the Mm -hmm. success they've had with their shows, I think this was the trailer that they should have run. I think Preacher's gonna be a much easier sell than Into the Badlands. 
Because that shit, I'm like, are you fucking kidding? Why are you putting so much money into into the Badlands? This is going to last six episodes, and it's going to be off. After watching the trailer for Preacher, I read a bunch of comment sections, and a lot of people are talking about how much they liked the trailer for Into the Badlands way more than the Preacher trailer. And I thought they were all insane because... That's wacky, because we don't even like the Preacher trailer. (laughs) That's what I thought. I said, well... The Preacher trailer was confusing and misleading, but Into the Badlands just looks like some dog shit that I never want to watch. Right, and I guess that speaks to our personal taste. But maybe, maybe coming from a different point of view, in the into the like Preacher looks too much like you know grim and gritty Walking Dead, but Into the Badlands is something different. It's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Trees, Crouching Tiger, Breaking Bad. Yeah, you know, oh, we're in the future. You know, we do crazy martial arts, and this guy's Boba Fett martial artist, and yeah, it looked like shit. I'm never. It watching looks that. fucking it's so boring. It looks like the most boring fucking show. I will never watch Into the Badlands. I can't fast forward through Into the Badlands commercials fast enough. But Preacher, I'm in because I know what. I think it's going to surprise some people. I feel like I think they should have went more. Honestly, with this trailer, like, hey, some goofy stuff. I think so too. You want some goofy stuff? We're gonna give you. If you think some shit's whack and Walking Dead, wait till you see this. Thing. I think that it's the perfect audience. You can pitch them. You can pitch them vampires. You can pitch them demon, like some maybe some low level angels and demons. You can pitch them the word of God. You can do all that shit. In this trailer, we don't even we don't would, even need to call it Word of God. And that's what I thought. That's where I thought they were going with the trailer. Because right in the beginning, the kid's like, "Hey, beating up my sister," and I thought at some point we were going to see Jesse go over to him. His eyes would light up red, and he'd say, like, "You know, like go fuck yourself." That's what I thought was going to possibly happen. And then, we but then he was talking about. You know, do you really want that consequences and blah, blah, blah. And the trailer's set up like he goes and he does it. But he doesn't, he doesn't do any of that He doesn't do any of that. No, that's what I'm saying. He's, Jesse Custer has a mission. He has a purpose. He has a direction. And through the years of him going to find God, he runs into some shit. He gets into some scrapes. He gets sidetracked. He, he loses friends and pieces of himself. But he never turns into a straight-up vigilante that just handles shit. Like, even in the well, in the very beginning of the book, when you meet him, he's a preacher. He's a drunk, but he's a, he's a preacher. He's yeah. not a vigilante night assassin. And nobody here's a, here's another thing. Well, they used to no, talk yeah. about things that you did. No, they fucking didn't because he was buried on that crazy New Orleans plantation, nobody knew he was there, nobody knew shit about his wacko family, no one knows, he doesn't, he doesn't tell anybody that stuff, Tulip his, the love of his life doesn't know any of that stuff, so no Peter Pan, you don't fucking know about that, <laughs> nobody does so get out of the fucking trailer you asshole yeah, this does, like it doesn't it doesn't make sense in a way that makes me think that they might not be doing the story we want. Like it's like it's so it's so goofy to me because since the very beginning whispers of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg are doing Preacher because they are huge fans right. of the Preacher. 
And even giving into, well, we don't want to do a panel-by-panel telling because we want everyone to be surprised, new readers and old fans. I get it, but like at this point, you guys don't even have the core of who Jesse Custer is correct. Yeah. Like, who fucking knows what Tulip's all about? We see her for 30 seconds. We get a... I mean, Cassidy looks... He seems like he, he could be Cassidy. Good. He sounds good. Right. But Jesse? I don't know. I'm sure Dominic Cooper can pull it off. I liked hearing the southern accent on him. Yeah. But... Like, I don't know, man. For a couple guys that are supposed to be such huge fans of the product, you really didn't give me fans of the product. You gave me, this is what AMC thinks we need to start pushing. And you know, with that in mind, who knows? Maybe Into the Badlands is going to be something totally different. Maybe. Looks like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon but into might the be ba- different. Into the Badlands, if I'm not wrong, doesn't have a loyal following or a great set of source material to work with it's it, it just was not in the direction that i hope that they could go and you can go it, this is what i was kind of hoping for i was hoping that it was going to be really vague and you can get away with really vague and still get across what what that is supposed to be but they went real specific. They're like, this is a guy who fucking writes some wrongs, and he's a badass preacher. Well, no. That's a preacher ab- with the dark side. That's absolutely... That he comes into your house and he's not makes you repent. You know That's how, absolutely you know how not long Jesse Custer is a preacher in the book? Like, three pages. Because <laughs> long, he gets... Long enough to drink some Jack Daniels and tell people what's what. Right. He gets the word of God in, like, page five, and then he's like... I can't be a preacher anymore because I need to find God and make him accountable for the bullshit he's done. Yeah. And he's not really a preacher. But in this one, like, he preacher by it. day, vigilante by night. <laughs> he wears it as a fucking joke. Almost. So, um, I can say that there were things that I liked. I liked, I liked the way that it looked in the tone. It looked cool. Oh, yeah. The yeah. dude that's playing Cassidy, I think it's going to be awesome. And um, Dominic Cooper looked good, um, but everything else I was worried about. I'm, I'm worried. I like the I like the tone. I like the atmosphere of it all. But like, I, I really hope this was this was the AMC trailer, and what we get out of the show is gonna be is gonna adhere more to what the actual book is about. Hopefully, hopefully, I've had. <laughs> I've had the director's cut of what I want to see from the first episode, from the pilot episode, in my head for years now. So, I maybe even more so than like, well, what I want to see from Spider-Man is this, this, and this. Or what I want to see from a Batman Superman movie is this, this, and this. Because it's so specific. And there's only one story that you can tell. There are no other interpretations of Preacher. You have to tell the story. The same as The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, in the first season, I felt like they did a lot. They did justice to the work. And they started trailing off as the seasons have gone on. And now it's nothing like the book. Unrecognizable. Still a good show, but not the book. And that's fine. 
But you have to start from ground zero with the source material that everybody loves. Well, Preacher tells a specific story from start to finish. Uh-huh. It's a specific story. Walking Dead is open-ended. It's still going on. Yes. Like, you know, you can tell... I, I feel like you can go in any kind of crazy direction and still have the same... And still be... And still honor the source material. But Preacher's one story. It's not a Batman movie that's had a billion stories over the last 75 years. Or Spider-Man that's had a billion different takes since 1961 or 63. Like, Preacher's one story... It's all contained. It's like if if someone ever does Why the Last Man. You can take some off-roads with both of those stories, but they're one self-contained story. It's from this to this. Hopefully, like you said, we just got the AMC trailer to get people that have no idea what Preacher is on on board and ready to watch it when The Walking Dead comes back in January. But I'll be watching my DVR with a suspicious eye. <laughs> Why don't we hit uh, Chewbacca real fast? Speaking of unnecessary offshoots to a main story. <laughs> it's only two issues old. Uh, writer Jerry Dugan and artist Phil Noto, who is... Superstar artist, in my opinion. The only reason I bought that Star Wars Shattered Empire book was because he did the first cover for it. And surprisingly, I've really enjoyed all four issues of that. Um, Chewbacca, though, Phil Noto does all the interior art, plus covers. And while it's a really good-looking book, it's it's going more the way of Mark Wade's Princess Leia, where it's just an unnecessary story that doesn't need to be told. Again... We're only two issues in. There might be some more important shit that happens later on, but so far, I think it is what it is. Chewbacca crashes on a strange planet, he helps out some natives, then he goes and meets up the Rebellion, and we're done. Yeah, it felt, to me, like an offshoot of Saga. Like, Chewbacca showed up in the Saga universe and started having some adventures, because he felt totally out of place in this world that they build. It's a really nice looking world, but I it, it also suffers from we're following a main character, this girl Zaro, that I don't give a shit about. She's not really a Star Wars person. She's somebody that you made up, Jerry Dugan, and I don't care about her. I don't care about her problems. I don't care about Chewbacca showing up to help you solve your problems. Um, I was promised a book about a character that I loved since I was two years old. I'd like to follow him, please. So, that's my main problem with it. Yeah, and like uh, that's one of the points I make in my review of issue number two, is you know comparing it to Lando, where you're introduced to Lando, and side characters like Chanith Cha... And the Ugnaught, whose name I can't remember. But they're just as interesting as Lando is. Like, all of a sudden, you care about these two brand new characters. And you care just as much about Lobot, who's not a brand new character. But, but for the, all intents and purposes of this side story. Characters. Right. But for this story, he's a brand new character. And, I mean, the emotional weight 
in the last issue of that Lando book. I mean, holy shit. That was a moving comic book. I didn't read it yet. But but here here's the thing Chewbacca, with that. none of these new characters. I, I don't give a shit about any of these new characters. The lead character, Lando, they make sure that he's front and center. Because, number one, there are stories to be told for Lando. When that book was announced, I was like, yeah, 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 that's going to be fucking awesome. I want to ride along with Lando and find out some hijinks. No matter what point you come in, I'm invested in Lando. I'll go, you know, where the era that they're in right now where he's doing some shit in Cloud City. You can take me back even further. Rebels era. Some Rebels. You can do some... You can even give me some some teenage Lando. (laughs) And and the sexual awakening of Lando. And I'd be in for that. But Chewbacca is—he's—he's he's a great sidekick, but he has—he has a major problem in the fact that he can't speak dialogue that the reader can understand. So that's a problem right there. I don't think that you need to build a book around that character. He's great. Maybe a one shot—that would be cool. And that's where the, that's where the bulk of the problem lies. Is that Chewbacca can't talk. Yeah, it's not like we're even getting thought bubbles from him. Like Phil Noto's tasked with body language and trying to you know dictate what this character is saying. And the Zara or Zaro or whatever her name is, like she has to do all the weird like Han speaking. Like, oh, you think that's broken, Chewie? Like. And it's, it's and just, it's, and we don't care because it's not Han Solo, right? There's no, it's not the charm of Harrison Ford doing that. It's some snotty kid that we just met that we don't give a shit about. Yeah, and like the more they put these Star Wars books out, we're gonna have hits, we're gonna have misses, uh, and so far, like I don't know, I was surprised by the first issue of. Chewbacca. I was like, you know what? Maybe we're on to something here. Maybe we've got something going. This is issue number one. Mm -hmm. It's your pilot episode. We're full of exposition. We're putting all the pieces on the table. But now we get to the second one, and I'm like, yeah, this this was even less interesting than the first one. So, you know, initially I thought, we don't need a fucking Chewbacca solo series. Issue number one proved me wrong. Issue number two proved me right. It makes me upset because Phil Noto's amazing talents are being wasted on this nonsense book. Why are you wasting it on Chewbacca? Why don't you get him to do the Star Wars proper series? Get him on something... You can't tell me that if you would have offered him, hey, you know, after John Cassidy's done with his run, you can jump on to that. He would have... Love to do that. So it's a great looking book. Oh, it looks I mean, awesome! The, I just, all the artwork's just beautiful. I know Phil Noto is one of the best best guys in the business. What I really like are the are these guards of the mine that have like super seventies outfits. What I really like about it is that there's a handful of things in A New Hope that you look at and you're like, oh, that's this Earth thing repurposed. Is some alien something in, you know, the Skywalker kitchen. Yeah. And so they kind of go by the same rules in this book where the guards in this mine that Chewbacca needs to break slaves out of, they're wearing batter's helmets. 
They really are. Like, they are 1976 New York Mets batters help. But it, but it feels like something that would have been done in A New Hope. And I think that's a really... I think that's a really cool detail to put in there. Like, these guys feel way more a part of the Star Wars universe than anything from the prequels. The thing about Phil Noto, um, if you follow his artwork, is that he loves the late 60s, early 70s. And a lot of the things that he brings to his just general vibe of the art that he does is that time period. So he's perfectly suited to give that kind of aesthetic to all these characters. And it makes it fit seamlessly in... To that early Star Wars universe. I just wish it would be done on a book that I gave a fuck about. Yeah, it, it all works. Like Nothing looks out of place. Nothing doesn't look like the Star Wars universe. But I just I just don't really care. Yeah, I, the, when I said that the this felt like a saga book, the general vibe of a mine... Them these these strange aliens mining this beetle farm or whatever the shit they're doing with these energon maggots yeah. that felt like that felt like saga to me. It doesn't feel yeah. like something that would take place in yeah Star yeah. Wars. Like, I guess you're right about that. So you know, thank you for trying Marvel and Star Wars, but, but d- d- divert your efforts to something more worthwhile. Chewbacca on the surface didn't sound like something that I wanted to read. and After two issues, turns out it's not. Not every original trilogy character needs their own story. I'm looking at you, C-3PO one-shot, written by James Robinson. Please, 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 please. No J. Scott Campbell Jawa book. I don't need it. Nobody wants it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we need to know why C-3PO gets his red arm for... The Force Awakens. Maybe he just has a red arm, and that's one of those just neat little details, like the silver calf. You know, yeah. we don't, maybe, maybe we don't need to know. Unexplained Something happened in those mysteries. thirty years. You know, he gets a red arm. Luke slash the Rebellion, or you know, derelict owners that don't repair him properly. Now, if Mac Casale comes back next week with a red arm, I'm gonna want to know. But C-3PO, See, I'm not gonna give a shit. We're going to business as usual. <laughs> because it's going to be, don't you want to know about my red arm? No, we'll, I don't. We'll, we'll sit here for an hour and he's like, hey, hey guys. <laughs> Just wanted to, did you notice? Uh, That's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll have Matt Casal back in the scientist officer chair. I, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Or is that like a uh, communications like the, officer? Is that the warp room over there? I don't know. Uh, maybe Scotty's too high profile for Matt Cassell. I mean, Sick Bay? Sick Bay? Is he the. He can probably be the Sulu, right? I mean, we're Kirk and Spock. Oh, most definitely. Hands down. Chekhov? I don't know. Let us know. On the. <laughs> USS McSauce Prize. What is Matt? Is he is he a horror? He's a horror, right? I know he is that a I'm horror. supposed to be a horror, but I'm Spock, damn it. Yeah, we all know I'm a horror, but goddammit, so is Kirk. That makes me Kirk. You're even wearing Kirk's shirt today. It's Yellow shirt. Kirk. 
golden Kelly. shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. We'll see you next time. I was going to say Ian Spockley. <laughs>